Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast, the podcast that deals with the beautiful team within the beautiful game. And what a beautiful game it feels like this weekend, or this this Monday after the weekend. It's been great, hasn't it? We've beaten Leicester. We've broken our duck. Just Chelsea left to go now in the uh, the teams to beat in the Premier League. Um, with me this week is Peter, as usual. Hello, Peter. Hey, Ross. It's a welcome back to Andy Bass as well. He's been a few weeks away. How are you doing, Andy? Yeah, very well. Very well, thank you. Excellent. And we have our very own Ref Watch guy. It's Mr. Steve Ferris. Welcome back, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Good evening, gentlemen. <laughs> Everyone's smiling and we all know why. Uh, yes, we beat Leicester 2-1 on Sunday afternoon. It was a great day to be at the game and um, it was a fantastic match, actually, to be honest. There was plenty of controversy, so we'll be getting into that. I have a suspicion as time goes on. Steve shaking his head. Um, I don't think he's going to be backing up the refs in a Dermot Gallagher style, um, I would imagine. But we'll find out anyway in due course. Um, So we'll have a review of the game. Um, I heard from... Raymond the Gent Wright, um, I spoke to him station side after the game, so a clip from him coming up from the match day later on, and a few little bits and pieces to do with the, well, the weekend's action, really, more than anything else. So then, guys, 2-1 uh, at the weekends. Um, well, it was pretty good, wasn't it? I mean, Andy, Steve, you were at the game. Peter, unfortunately, wasn't. So, I mean, I don't know if um, Andy or Steve, well, should we go with Andy, as you haven't been on for a bit? Um, let's go to you first. What did you make of all that, then? Oh, I thought it was terrific. What a, what a brilliant game of football, obviously made better by the result. But I thought it was a really high quality, I thought it was a really high quality game. Um, there was some really good football played by both sides. Um, obviously, yeah, you've got the the, the, the controversy with the with the um, with the VAR and stuff, but but you know, we've been on we've been on the wrong end of plenty. I actually think the two offsides were. Blatant offsides, I don't know what the fuss is about. 
penalty, maybe a bit dubious, but um, <laughs> given that I'm still ranting about VAR decisions from the beginning of last season, um, you know, it happens to all teams, doesn't it? And um, I do think you make your own luck in in these games. I think back think back to games that we that we should have got results in that we didn't. And, um, you know, we took care of business in, in this game. In the end, we had to make adjustments to Leicester in the second half. After, after having a fantastic first half, Leicester came out firing. Um, and we had, to, we had to make a lot of adjustments. Potter, I thought, handled the, the game situation brilliantly. Um, and, yeah, and, and we really dug it out. It was, we, we really had to work hard for that. Leicester had us under the cosh for the last half an hour. And it was it was just terrific stuff to watch. It was breathless. You were just it was exciting. It was terrifying, and uh, all those things. And we and we managed to come out on top. You know, it's it was fantastic. What a great day! The atmosphere was superb as well. So, and you know, top six, brilliant. Top well, four, yeah, top four at the yeah. moment. We're all going on a European tour, apparently. Um, Steve, would you... I mean, we'll get into the controversy side of things later on, but uh, would you go along with that in general, general assessment? Yeah, I'd, I mean, I'd echo what Andy has said. I mean, you know, for a team like Brighton, as we often see the hashtag go out, we've just been a team that have finished just outside the Champions League spaces for the last two seasons. Hmm. They are a very good side. You know, and for the first 60 minutes, I thought we were the far better side. The last half an hour, they put us under the cosh and we withstood it with a little bit of help from VAR. But we'll get on to that, as we've said. Um, but, I, you know, I can actually hand on heart think we deserve the win overall, you know, because we played good football. We withstood attack after attack after attack which you know a season ago 18 months ago even two seasons ago we would have folded so we we're now getting that backbone as a side premiership experience has served as well now you know and if at the beginning of the season if you'd have said four wins out the first five i think they'd have all called you crazy they certainly were, didn't they? Nobody was predicting it would go this well. We were talking just off air about how the lack of striker acquisitions was the big angst and anxiety inducer, really, for all Albion fans. And I think we have to admit that none of us really imagined it would go this well uh, this this stage in the season, particularly if we didn't keep our record up against Everton. You'd imagine that would have been at least a guaranteed point based on the past. So, so if you said, right, we're losing to Everton, how do you think we'll do with the rest of it? No one would have set 12 points there, would they? Um, and it's been, it's been brilliant. I mean, I've, I've got every single prediction wrong so far this season. Um, quite impressed with myself. Oh, no, I think I might have got the Watford uh, game right. But apart from that, I've got the rest wrong. Um, and um, I, yes, again here, I thought one all, I think, for this game. If not one all, then a 2-1 for Leicester. And uh, neither of those <laughs> predictions were correct. Um, another thing that's very hard to predict is the formations. And I think it was a pretty fluid formation, this one. I mean, Sanchez was definitely in goal. The rest of it, you know, you've got Duffy and Dunk definitely in centre-backs. but And, and Veltman was seen as being a third centre-back with Kukreya and, and March as wing-backs. But really, I think Veltman was playing more as a conventional right-back a lot of the time, with March playing much more advanced, really, in a, a right-of-midfield-slash-winger role. 
Um, I don't think anyone was really doing the same on the other side because Kukureya was going up and down and covering all of that space. So it was maybe something like a, almost like a 4-3-3, even though I don't think that's what anybody thinks it was, um, depending on how Trossard was operating as well, because Trossard was roving around and, you know, the positions were getting filled interestingly throughout the game, I thought. Um, you'll hear in the, the Raymond clip that we've got a little bit later on that he was talking about a game of two halves, but not in halves. The first 10 to 12 minutes was all Leicester and we were getting battered and it looked like we frozen against our bogey team yet again. We then came back into it and actually did start to play our good stuff. Um, and up until just before the hour mark, we were 100% on top. Um, then they came back and, and got the rest of their half of the game uh, in the bag by dominating us and making us rather stressed for quite a while in the stadium. Um, didn't, didn't they, boys? Uh, really was quite, quite stressful, <laughs> but in a good way, because there was the, the carrot of potential three points uh, to be gained if we managed to hold on, which we did. Um, so it was a great game to be out. I'm gutted, Peter, you weren't able to make it. I'm really sorry you couldn't get there because uh, you've missed the Brentford game as well, which you were, mm. had tickets for, didn't you? So it's just unfortunate um, circumstances. But you presumably caught the game, did you, on uh, the highlights? Yeah, I've um, seen yesterday and obviously in the, in the main incidents. Mm. Um, yeah, I kind of, obviously, PA, there's quite a lot of the, the late stuff sounded like it was Leicester, but... I mean, I, I kind of agree with Andy. I think the two disallowed goals, I don't think Leicester can have any complaints, basically. I mean, if you stand by a goalkeeper offside, even if it's even if you don't think you're interfering with play, you leave yourself open to the chance of it getting disallowed, especially as, as um, we are, I'm jumping into the controversial stuff, that's obviously main stuff I've seen, especially based on, you know, you're kind of, he was obviously was like up against uh, Sanchez initially when it came in or was when it, when it was about to be kicked and pushing and shoving him with no intention of trying to get the ball, which is what Rogers even admitted after the game, that Sanchez came and claimed one early on and he didn't want to let that happen again. So how on earth is he not interfering a player if he's basically there to get in Sanchez's way and block him off? I mean, to me, that's a, 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 yeah, a clear, a clear, clear um, issue. And also, I think, you know, yes, I probably, you, I'd be annoyed if the penalty had been given against us. But on the other hand, it's far less an obvious foul from Mope than the one that was on him by Tarkowski from Burnley. So... I mean, to me, that was much more of a foul. So if you're going to let that one off, you've got to let the, the one off from Mope, in which case it's a clear handball. That's... Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing about Sanchez and um, Barnes, that's a good point. And yeah, you can't have it both ways. And I think it's with Leicester. They're a quality team, as you said. They've just missed out. Um, well, actually, sorry, Steve said. They've just missed out by a fraction on Champions League places the last couple of years. I think it was one point last season. And... You know they go to they go out to win every game, even against the big boys. They're looking to win the games. So because of that, there is the danger of the counter. And obviously, they saw Sanchez and his ability to distribute the ball very quickly and accurately as a genuine threat. Um, it was a serious point for them. Ironically, as I was saying on uh, the Leicester podcast that I went on there uh, earlier on this evening, um, in a way, Barnes being in there interfering with a goalkeeper or not, whatever you want to say about it is actually a defensive move as much as it is an attacking move because for that reason. Um, the irony being, you know, we didn't have anyone on the post, so that meant, that meant he was offside. So as an attacking player, he then screwed things up for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it was clearly, a, a, it was deployed for those purposes. I think, um, we'll get into the details, but I think with the first for me, the first one, I don't think it's debatable really. And actually the Leicester fan did, did concede that that was the case. He was more annoyed with the second one and we'll, we'll get into that in more details in a minute but um, I think with the first decision 
that was controversial, the penalty, I, I do think, as Andy said, that was a foul. But um, we'll, let, we'll get to that in a minute. Let's go through it um, chronologically. Um, we won't go into excruciating detail, but the, let's go with that first thing then. So the penalty, um, what happened was, it was a corner, I think, wasn't it? Um, the ball came in. Morpé is pulling at um, Vestergaard's um, arm very clearly and quite persistently. Vestergaard's arm goes up in the air in what you could say is an unnatural position, um, which certainly is what the lino saw when he alerted that to the referee, who I think had initially given a corner, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so obviously the ref only saw the, the contact from Vestergaard. The lino saw that it came off his hand. What none of us saw, um, either those two or most of the people in the ground, was that actually Morpé was pulling his arm. Now, whether his arm should have gone up like that or not is one thing or the other. For me, it was definitely not a penalty. It was a free kick to Leicester because the initial... Um, well, the initial um, scenario within that move was the foul. The foul happens before the handball happens. That's how I took it. Um, Steve's pulling a number of different faces, and I'm curious to know what they're going to mean in a second. And, um, I mean, just before we go to Steve, so Peter, Andy, would you say that was definitely a foul and should have been a free kick to Leicester? Uh, I think it depends on what you regard as a foul these days. Who knows what yeah. is? As I said just now, I think if it's not a foul on Mope against Burnley, then it's not a foul hmm. there. To but me. take 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 that out. Say that doesn't happen, and this incident is occurring the other way round. You'd be annoyed, wouldn't you? I, I would be, of all the decisions, I'd be more, most annoyed about that yeah. one. I think, yeah. But on the other hand, I don't think Vestergaard put his arm in the air because he was fouled. I don't think. I think he threw his arm no. to try and show that he was fouled. Mope didn't force yeah. him to throw his arm up in the air. Um, yeah, I, I don't agree with think that. If yeah. Duffy heads that in, they disallow it for the foul on Vestergaard. I, I genuinely, I think these days, I think mm. if he, his hand doesn't get in the way and Duffy scores that, I think the goal's allowed. Given the rules seem to be, you're not really penalising certain things these days. That's, yeah, that's my view. The refs, as far as I understand it, and again, we'll, we'll get this from Steve in a second. I think are allowing more stuff to go, yeah. aren't they? They're trying to let the game flow. But just very quickly before we go to Steve, Andy. Would you think? Would you firstly? Would you have been pissed off if that had been um, awarded as a penalty against us? And do you think it was the right? Uh, do you think it was a, a foul in the end? I'm pretty sure I would have been annoyed. Um, I think what Mope did should be regarded as a foul. However, at corner kicks, it's pretty much a lottery as to what what is regarded as. As a foul, there's there's bumping, holding, gouging, kicking, whatever you know, all, all, sorts, of, all sorts of stuff goes on at corners. Don't forget and, pinching, and, and very little of it is actually penalised. I, I, I mean, bizarrely, Brentford actually got a, you know, got a got a penalty against Wolves for a blatant rugby tackle on I on, on Tony. Yeah, well, he'd, he'd done it just before, hadn't he? Uh, not not content with that. Quite it, often. Defenders mm. get away with. It. I mean, quite. It's, it's where it's rare to see an attacker commit a foul at a, at a corner. It's normally the defenders just like being all over, you know, having their hands over the shoulders of people so they can't jump. Yeah, and um, arms around them to again to prevent them jumping or moving around as, as they'd like. It's it'd be interesting to hear what what's what Steve has to say because I, I do think that fouls are committed at corners that would not be permitted elsewhere on the pitch. And like, like like Peter said, like, you know, Mope gets flattened by Tarkovsky and like Alan Shearer thinks, oh, we, you know, 
that's a that's not a foul. Well, and then, then he's moaning about it on match the day this week. Well, can't have it both ways, mate. Yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah, last, was, last season, even before the rule changed, there was, was it Dan Berman's basically wrestled to the ground at Wolves, was it? I think it yeah. was. Yeah. And, and the guy basically kind of held him and they didn't give a free kick. So, so and there's, there's the Tottenham game. And, and even with the offsides, there's Norwich. Uh, Leicester have benefited from a, an offside call at Norwich, haven't they, as well? So, but right, let's get the expert view then. Here he goes. He's been pulling all sorts of faces, as I said. Let, let's get the words now from Steve. Well, I'll put my Dermot Gallagher hat on and I won't agree with everything the referee's will say as he does on sky sports <laughs> if i look at it if i take my brighton spectacles off you will see as a referee jostling going on in the box left right and center whether it be an attacker a defender pulling shoving trying to make space etc and i watch it and i've watched it several times since and did mopai grab him slightly yes did then Vestergaard accentuate what's happened? Of course he did, because he wanted to try and buy a free kick, which is no different to being in the middle of the park. So, for me, there wasn't enough to say Mopai had fouled him, for the referee to say that was a an attacking foul. But did Vestergaard, by putting his arm out, make himself demonstrably bigger? Yes, he did. Because he put his arm out and the ball struck him. And as referees, we are told, if you make yourself bigger, then there will be a penalty given against you. You know, you can work out, was there a foul beforehand? And I didn't think there was enough there to make it warrant a foul and therefore a defensive free kick. And as I, I think I made a post on WhatsApp today with Seagulls over London about should he have been sent off? In my eyes, no, because it wasn't denying an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. Because that is, has he stopped the ball going into the goal? Potentially yes, potentially no, because there were more people behind him to stop the ball going in. So even if it's on target, the goalie had a fair chance of saving it, that sort of thing. Of course he did, which is why the Reese James one, which is, did he stop the ball going in the goal? Of course he did. You know, because it hit his hand and he was on the goal line. There was no one else could stop it going in. Therefore, he was, once the penalty was awarded, mm. as a referee, you have no alternative but to send him from the field of play. Yeah. You know, so, sorry, go on. I was going to say, Steve, so just with, with regard to how that unfolded, so the ref gave a corner, he then got flagged by the lino, went over to speak to him. The lino said that was a handball, quite clearly. Yeah. That's what, what had gone on. Yeah, so that was a so communication. He gave the penalty. So what happens in regards to the observations, because it's a penalty decision being given, they then have to potentially look at VAR, don't they? Well, they have to. So basically what, with VAR... So they would have seen they would have seen that foul or potential foul or, and, and decided against it. They would have... We go back to what VAR was originally intended to be. It, has there been a clear and obvious error on the field of play by the match officials? So VAR... Hmm. Whereas last season, the season before, they were interjecting almost every opportunity they could. Whereas they've seen how the Euros have been conducted over the over the summer months and thought, VI actually works quite well. We just need to rein in 
what VAR does. So VAR would have said, well, you know, the on-field decision was between the two officials, which is the near side assistant referee, who was a senior one, and the referee. Referee went over to talk to him. As much as Casper Schmeichel decided to want to get involved for the whole process <laughs> and said, right, what have you seen? What have I not seen? I've seen a deflection, which is why it's gone for a corner. So I initially signaled for the corner. The assistant has said, actually, his arm was out. It hit his arm and went out for the corner, which is why the penalty was then awarded. VAR would have seen it and said, is there enough for me to overturn the decision that the on-field you know, referee and the assistant have made? And the answer was, no, there was not. Which is why the penalty stood. And we went with the penalty. Right. So if you were, well, the VARF, I guess, in this case, you would you would have um, gone, you would have the same conclusion as that. You would have you would have awarded the penalty without a shadow of a doubt. Did it strike right. his arm because he made himself bigger by his, having his arm out? How that arm mm. came out is neither here nor there. Once it mm. comes out, you run the risk of it striking you and then giving a penalty. If you look at the Manchester United defender Luke Shaw wasn't it hmm. when the cross came in did he mean to put his arm out because of his natural momentum no but his arm made himself bigger and once the hmm. ball strikes his arm and it's out beyond his body length you're given no alternative but to give that penalty then yeah. is that relatively new because I thought if it was quite close normally as in Duffy's header or as in the cross, that they'd be a bit of leeway normally. Is that more recent or has that always been the case? That's I'm... always been the case. Do you make yourself bigger? Yeah. By having Even if it's right out? next to you, it's still... If, if you're, if you're, if you've seen penalties not given when it strikes the arm and the bodies and the arms are within, say, the line of the, yeah. the body itself. And then you'd have to be a right... <laughs> What's and it? I, I won't swear because we're on... We're recording... <laughs> Uh, to give a penalty for that incident. Yeah. So Luke Shaw was penalised because his arm was out. Yeah, he, his was definitely out. Yeah, there was no no question. There really, was Vestergaard's. How that came about is neither here nor there in the end because the referee hasn't deemed it a foul leading up to that arm being out. The thing I thought was really interesting yesterday, and it was, and I think it does show there's still quite a lot of ignorance about VAR. I'm not a VAR's biggest fan generally, but there was a lot of fuss about from a lot of Leicester fans, seemingly, and other people about how VAR, you know, the whole normal VAR has ruined football. But actually, those decisions would have been exactly the same if there hadn't been VAR. VAR yeah. did not overrule anything yesterday in the Albion game. Because so how exactly has VAR the... changed anything? Because all decisions were given by the match officials. Yeah. It's made you know, no so... difference there whatsoever. It's kind of like. So what? What? It's not VAR's. The VAR's not the problem there. I bet you could argue it should have made a difference, but it would have been the same if before VAR as if it was afterwards. Exactly right. So, has VAR worked? Neither here nor there, because the decisions were made and VAR wasn't used. Which I think we should all be encouraging. I think we we were saying last season, I think most people complaining about the fact VAR overruled too much, and it should be reduced to. As, as you're saying about the Euros working really well, it should be limited to what we all thought it was originally, which is clear and obvious errors. Yeah, And, and that they seem to have done that overall pretty and well, if, I think. If you take off our blue and white spectacles, and although Leicester play in blue and white, um, 
were there any obvious errors in any of the decisions? And I know Andy touched based on the offsides, and we'll probably get onto those in a minute. Um, were they were they offside? Yes, they were. Were they in the line of the goalkeeper? Yes, they were. Did they distract? Yes, they were. You know, you look at Harvey Barnes in both of them. Sanchez is looking at Barnes and not what's coming towards him because his line of sight has been taken away. There's an argument, isn't there, that he, they were saying he wasn't going to get to that. I think it was the last one. He wouldn't, wasn't going to get to that anyway. But if Harvey Barnes has interfered with, distracted yeah. him in some way while in an offside position, and maybe that's why he's not going to get to it. It takes yeah. a fraction of a second to make mm. a decision as a goalkeeper, as we know. Yeah. And it yeah. doesn't matter if you're, the ball's going out of play and you're fouled, you're still fouled. So yeah. it doesn't matter if it's going in anyway or not. I mean, I, to me, if I was a Leicester fan, I would have been really pissed off with Harvey Barnes and with Rogers if that was his tactic. I wouldn't have been pissed off with the officiating as much. I probably would have been a bit annoyed, but I've looked at it and gone, well, why on earth did we put someone on the keeper in an offside position twice, especially after the second time, having had a goal to loud? It was, it was such mean, a stupid and, tactic. And Rogers has already said, we put him there to stop the quick yeah. distribution of the throw back out. Yeah. So how's he not interfering with play then? If it's exactly, it's like it makes no sense. There, there are the point of him being there. Sense actually, I thought. Yeah, and, exactly. and also the offence has been committed before it gets to the person heading the ball. Yes, he's in the offside position. I, on I both, will on, say, Andy. On, on both occasions, he was jostling with, regardless of where he was when the header came in. Prior, prior to that, he was jostling with Sanchez on both occasions. Yep. As soon as that ball goes in the air and he's, he's offside, it's because we didn't put anybody on the post. It was really poor from Rogers, who should have recognised, well, they haven't got a man on the post, therefore he's going to be offside. They spotted the first one. Hmm. So what are they going to do when I ask him to do it again? Do you know how many times Destin were offside in that game on Saturday? Yeah. Twice. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, I mean, I will say one thing. It is not an offence to be in an offside position. I stand corrected. Okay, it is not not an offence. Okay, so you can be offside, providing you do not interfere with the play, either by touching the ball or taking a defender away, or in this instance, both times with Sanchez, which is what he did. That was the offence. Yeah, they they became active within that field, that stage of play. And I'd argue I argue with anyone within the six yard that. box must be active. Surely, I mean, even if you're not directly in the, the line of the line of sight, if you're saying a distraction or whatever. But to me, also, is it not surely if you're just your sole aim is to block the keeper, is it not just a foul anyway? Could it not be given as a free kick? Um, if you block the keeper to come out, then yes, that would be the foul. But he was, but, I'm not sure Sanchez was coming out, but he was still standing in his way, blocking him. Yeah. So, there, there, off the ball. so there are two different things here, which is what you're trying to say, which is, did Harvey Barnes block Sanchez from running out to jump and collect the ball? No, he didn't. But did he distract his eye line from the headers coming in? Yes, he did. And that is the offence that he's given. Because, as I said, it's not an offence to be in an offside position, but it is an offence to interfere yeah I mean I, I've just so I went on this Leicester podcast and I was speaking to those guys I was saying with the I mean they conceded the first one probably wasn't 
um, the wrong decision. It was the correct decision because he clearly was in the eye line, etc. The second one, I think, was a diluted version of the same scenario, wasn't it? He was less in his eye line. And then it becomes a question of subjectivity as to is there interference? And also, if once the ball's in play, if he's already had some interaction with the goalkeeper after the ball's gone into play, technically he's he's interfering while in an offside position with what the goalkeeper will then do. All his decision-making is based around the fact that presence is there in his six-yard box or wherever it is. He's got to take into account the possibility. He, do, he doesn't know necessarily if someone's offside or not. And even if they are, he can't assume that the officials are going to give the decision in his favour. So he has to worry about that player if there's a chance that the ball could go towards him and he could flick it a different direction. So I guess that's, I'm, I'm assuming that's why it was interpreted, that second one, that he was still a potential distraction. And I, I guess a potential distraction is enough, isn't it? If he's in, he's within the post, isn't he? I think. <laughs> Yes. So is he is he interfering with play? Yes, he was. I mean, aside the fact it was a bloody good header from Indeedy, <laughs> to mm. be fair. Yeah. All the finishing yeah. was good in this game, wasn't it? Yeah. And actually, you know, we owe the linesman on the the West End side a beer because he <laughs> he did what he's there to do. Yeah. And you and you see so many officials bottle key decisions. Whereas he, and he is a senior linesman because he's he's that side of the field of play. Hmm. So he's more experienced out of the the two assistant referees. So, because if you think of all three key match incidents, he was instrumental in all three of them. Hmm. We, we would call them KMIs, which is key match incidents. And when he gets, when the observer comes down and they talk about it, he will talk about those KMIs, which is, right, so what did you see? Why did you give it? And and I look at it from a referee's point of view and thinking, he had balls. He got the decisions right. And I would have said that if it was the other way around for Leicester. And I've got no problem saying that, you know, with incidents that happen or don't happen. Because I watch a lot of games these days with a referee's eye point rather than a Brighton viewpoint. Hmm. Which annoys Steve. my two children and will watch us. <laughs> I bet it does. <laughs> um, Steve, one question as well. I mean, um, yeah. your partial namesake, Stephen Warnock, um, who I, I think is a pretty good pundit, actually. It's quite interesting. Um, I called yeah. a bit of what he said this morning, which was quite interesting. He was saying that if Barnes is going to do what he's doing by trying to just get in amongst it with the, with the goalkeeper... Um, what he needed to do was to be clever and to have backed away and got himself out of the equation sooner when the ball's in play. How does that work in terms of, I mean, what's what's the dividing line in terms of how much interference it and how late the, into it? It depends on the, the phase of play. Hmm. You know, where was he when, say, the ball's passed in? Where was he when the header comes in? So hmm. you, you try and distinguish between those phases of play. So therefore, was he active when the ball came in? No, because he's not interfering at that point. But was he then active when the header comes in? And yes, he was on both occasions, hmm. which is why, you know, I think it was Lookman that scored the first one, wasn't it? That was disallowed. 
you know, and I'm sure, I'm sure Lookman's really peed off because he doesn't score that many, except you know when he plays against us. <laughs> yeah. Well, the finishing was good in this game. I mean, let's move the conversation on there. So, in general, I think the finishing was good. There was there was five completed finishes, and there was a couple of two or three other very good shots on target. The goals that were scored, whether disallowed or otherwise, were all good, weren't they? And, and the three that were, were allowed in particular were very good. Um, Morpay up against a pretty good penalty stopper in Kasper Schmeichel, who has, of course, denied him just last season, wasn't it, I think? Yeah. Um, and also Murray in our first Premier League season, I think, missed one yeah, against him. That's it. And he's, he's a very good, he's a great goalie in general. Morpay, of course, has a checkered history with his penalty taking. Um Put it away with a plum, as they say. He really did. Um, I mean, he, he completely sold him. Put it right, right in the corner. It's great, great penalty, wasn't it? Very well finished. It's and interesting then Danny... with Mope, though. I think, unsurprisingly, his penalties are so much better when he's confident. I mean, he scored yeah. two at the start of last season when he started really well against Newcastle and Man U, and mm. obviously had started the season generally pretty well as well. And then as as his goal drought went on, he got less and less confident with. I mean, it's not a yeah. surprising stat, but it's yeah, you know, a surprising thing. But I think it is worth yeah. saying that maybe we look at other, when he's not on a good run, we should look at someone else to take it. But when he is on a good run, he's he's probably our best penalty taker. Yeah, I think I think the United one was a bit of shithousery, wasn't it? As well, I think he dinked yeah. it or something. Didn't yeah, but um, anyway, back to you, Steve. Yeah, what what did you think about that? Um, well, I think with Mopai is like a lot of strikers, it's all about confidence. And actually, Schmeichel did as much as he possibly could to distract him, delay him, put him off his game. Because obviously he saved the last one when we were away at Leicester you know, after about five minutes and in a, in a game that if it had scored, we don't know where we'd have been at that point. Yeah. But it was such a confident penalty strike. that, And that shows you what, as strikers, if you're on a good run, he'll just knock it away without even thinking about it. Even though you, it was almost like three or four minutes before he was allowed to take the penalty because Schmeichel refused to get back. And actually, as a referee, I would have cautioned him mm. for delaying the restart because he did everything he possibly could. Mm. And, not, you know, to, and he was playing mind games, which is what Schmeichel's brilliant at. And yeah. he's also a very good penalty stopper. But, you know, as you said, he finished with the plomb. And as a keeper, I think yeah. you probably expect to get booked for that, don't you? But you do it to get the slight better, better chance of saving the penalty because the odds of you getting booked again in the game are pretty low. Yeah, you take yeah, the booking. It's the equivalent of a tactical foul further up yeah. the field for a defender, isn't or it? Or the time-wasting later on that you accept you get the odd booking yeah. because... I mean, Ray, Ray got booked, didn't he, for filling... Or no, did he get booked for filling around with his gloves and time-wasting and all sorts of other antics in the Brentford Wolves game? And, you know, that's less affecting overall than a key moment as, as you called it earlier Steve um, you know a penalty is obviously a key moment in a game and you know those psychological elements the fact that he's a good goalkeeping um, a, a good shot stopping goalkeeper in terms of penalties is already a psychological advantage if you then add in delays and things you're really building up a wall aren't you to, to, to aim against um, and so we've, we've conquered that I'm, I'm delighted the, the thing about that game at the weekend that I liked the most was the fact that Morpay just buried that, and there was it, it was never in doubt after it left his foot, was a um, which was just brilliant, and that was a great finish. And Danny Welbeck, of course, later on, Super. off the back of 
Solly March chased down a ball. He really showed some willing. He won a free kick where we maybe thought he might not do, and he did. The free kick was delivered brilliantly, and it was headed away. Uh, apparently, um, he scores a lot of goals against Leicester, so he's a bit of a bogey player for them. Um, but it really was finished beautifully, wasn't it? It's a beautiful contact on the ball. Andy, uh, did you enjoy that? I did. It was great. Um, I, you know, actually, the, the winning of the the free kick was really good. Like you say, he was like, you didn't even think Solly was going to get there, and yet gets the foul. Thought it could have been a yellow card actually, because the guy just took him out at the end. But um, great delivery from Trossard, who's mm. having his best start to a season since he's joined us. He's just looking so classy now. Since since he's been called up by Belgium, it's just improved his game. Consistency. That's yeah. what was missing, wasn't it? And um and well back. I don't I don't know how he just managed to ghost in there. He's just sort of but that's just like clever striker. Like that's that's the experience that a player like Danny Welbeck give, gives you and like he knows how to finish. He's not he's not gonna miss he's not gonna miss from there, is he? I mean it was just it was just brilliant. And then you know, we were sort of in dreamland then because you're thinking, you know what? This is game on. We can, you know, we could get to 12 points, which just seems unimaginable. And um it's very interesting you're talking about Mope there. I just thought I thought there were good performances all over the all over the pitch, with sadly one exception, but um <laughs> I'm not gonna be too hard, not no. gonna be too hard on him for that. They he'll 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 get up to speed eventually, but um, but I thought Mope was excellent, just mm. holding the yeah. ball up, keeping their defenders honest. Really, not a nice person to defend at all. But Welbeck could support for like you know the first sort of hour or so, and just just absolutely just just great stuff. But yeah, the Welbeck finish brilliant. That's what we want, and uh, yeah, that's just you know once he's got his goal, get him off. And we'll try to save him for another game. Keep <laughs> him in cotton wool. Well, yes. I mean, Steve, over to you on that one. What I was going to say is, I sit in the East End family area because I normally go with my daughter. And there's a a young lad that sits next to me. So when the free kick, just before the free kick was being taken, said, "They're not marking Welbeck. He's got he's got a free run." And I went to him. I think you're right. And then the cross came in and the moment he headed it from our angle, it was in from the moment he headed it because the angle that it went in, there was no way Schmeichel was ever going to get anywhere near it. And you know, it nestled in and it was a brilliant finish. And that's what Welbeck gives you. Now we might only get him for you know 25% of the season or hopefully a little bit more. But that 25% to 40% whatever we get will be worth so much it's a bit like Murray in his you know in the last few seasons of his career with us we didn't get him for a lot of the time but when he did play he was absolutely outstanding yeah he, he's, a, he's, he's the equivalent isn't he he's the replacement okay he's, he's faster <laughs> but apart from that he's, uh, I think I'm he's faster, the equivalent <laughs> he, he did have a run where he was fit for most of the second half of last season so hopefully if he can carry that on That'll be a real boost. Obviously, he missed the first few games, but and looked quite rusty. I thought when he came in against Everton, but then he's 
yeah, done pretty well since. And hopefully he can, you know, if he could somehow stay fit for two thirds of the season or something, that would be amazing. Because he got and I think, seven and I goals think the goal in about half do, season last year. And the goal would do him the world of good. You know, he's like most strikers, he's, you know, if you get goals, you play a lot better. You know, look at Mopai, you know, from where he was tail end of last season, couldn't hit a cow's ass with a banjo. Whereas this season, everything he's touching is going in. We're getting the run, aren't we? I think with decisions are at least even now, uh, thereabouts. Um, yeah, given the Burnley scenario, um, the XG might be lower, but the clinical conversion rate is is certainly upping. Um, yeah, the, the Irish, I think Everton's pretty much our highest percentage of possession, isn't it? And you got about about sixty mm. percent, sixty percent possession against them, and had it. But in really kind of like in our own half and didn't really do anything with it. But yet Saturday we didn't Sunday we didn't have it anywhere near that and obviously did a lot more with it. I think yeah. ironically that that kind of plays to our strengths as a team is because mm. the defensive unit tends to be you know, we would think of that as our more reliable unit. So the the more work we give them or you know, or that phase of play is is one that we tend to be more comfortable with, whereas like last season we you know we did, we missed a lot of, we did miss a lot of chances and you could say we're unlucky but actually we're not unlucky we, you know we should you know you should do something about your finishing and convert um, but now they now we're sort of just building a much more solid base. Um, yeah, you know, on you know, on which on which those four players can do. And it means we're breaking we're breaking <laughs> earlier. So the the breaks are more of a surprise for the defense. Whereas before, because we're attacking all the time, you're always facing defenses that were completely set up against you. But now if you could if you get that first pass in and you'll pass that first player, then suddenly you're in charge of that move. They've got to react mm-hmm. to you. They you're they're not watching it play out in front of them. They're having to, t- you know, get on their heels, turn round, and then make their adjustments whilst you are, you know, executing, you know, your your forward plan. And I think that's 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 been a reason why I think we've been able to um, maybe be slightly more clinical this this, um, this 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 season, even if we do not appear to be as creative as we were last last season. And also, if, well, if we get Lamptey back. That will be even more a bonus for that because there isn't a quicker player in the Premier League probably when he's if he's fully fit and you know, the transition. I mean that Newcastle game away last season when we absolutely destroyed them and it was he made Sam Maximum, who's a very good player, look and very quick player, look ridiculously poor for, for like half an hour or so much so that he then went off injured. I mean, Absolutely. you know, if he can get back to that sort of form with, with Cucciarella on the other flank as well, then we're going to have such a quick transition compared to what we've had in previous seasons. Well, I'd like to talk about Cuckoo and various other players in part two. But what we're going to do, we're just going to hear from Raymond. This was post-match on the day of the game, after which we'll take a quick break. And then we'll come back to talk amongst ourselves about what we thought about uh, the players as well from this game, which had that magnificent 2-1 win. So we'll be back after listening to Raymond and a short break. Go for it. Um, great result, obviously, today. Um and uh, managed the game towards the end, or a bit hair-raising at times. Uh, I said a tale of two halves, I'm exaggerating. First 10 minutes all Leicester, last half hour plus all Leicester, and the bit in the middle, all Brighton. 
Yeah. And Brighton played some very good football at times. Lots of incidents yeah. uh, to watch on match of the day, uh, not least of which the two disallowed goals uh, and the penalty. But uh, positive performance against a good team who uh, played with a lot of intensity. It's a fast-paced game, uh, good entertainment for the crowd, and some good performances. Really uh, impressed with person I will refer to as Cuckoo, uh, <laughs> our, our left back, who got the Man of the Match award, and yeah. certainly he was one of Quite two right, or three. He was outstanding. Yeah, one or two of the best players on the pitch. And first half, he was terrorising uh, the right side of Leicester's defence. Yeah. And uh, you know, a, a good, mature uh, performance in a lot of ways. Uh, Mopé and, and Welbeck had, the, had their moments. Well taken goal by Welbeck from a very good free kick by, by Trossard. And Mopé, for once, really dispatched the penalty uh, with no histrionics and you know, sent the goalkeeper the wrong way, but actually thumped it hard into the corner. Yeah. So I don't think he would have saved it if he'd gone the right way. Mm. So, Which is great, because a good keeper, not easy to beat, but well beaten yeah, there. I mean, and top class keeper. With that second goal, Solly chased down, didn't he, as well, to win the free kick. Yeah. I think good work there. There was some really good closing down at key moments. We really did manage the game pretty well, didn't we? I thought so. I mean, it's much better. I mean, strangely enough, one feels that uh, we're not playing in some ways quite as well as we have been in, in last season. Yeah. I mean, the players like Duncan not in their imperial. Best. Yeah, in terms of fluidity and just attacking creativity, that's all. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's better, but it's uh, uh, you know, I, I'm. It's more direct, isn't it, in places, and definitely better game managed. I think the only thing I, I felt, I, I understand why Potter brought on Burn uh, as the first sort of sub, but it was um, you know, largely because we were having problems down the sort of what I'd call the left half position in front of, of Cuckoo. And I felt that the Lana was, personally from that viewpoint, slightly off colour at times, one or two misplaced passes, and not really making his presence felt in, in that area of the pitch. But I just wonder if he brought on a more attacking player at that point for Welbeck, whether that would have made Leicester sit back a bit more and by putting on a defender which the logic which I can understand might have actually enabled Leicester to come at us a bit more yeah. as they did in that last half hour um, slightly surprised and pleased that it was only five minutes extra time yeah. with all the bar I called time. five minutes but I did yeah. wonder yeah time instance I, I thought it might be six yeah because and we had the sort of various other Small delays it felt like everywhere. every second counted as well, didn't it? Notwithstanding the fact that we were getting these goals that were getting disallowed, it seemingly here and there and everywhere, we were, at the time just seemed to be going very, very slowly. Um, and I mean, we were really just having to battle away, weren't we? A really, really tight game. And we weren't really holding on to the ball in, in the last 20, 25 yeah. minutes. Yeah. That, that was the thing, is that when we got it, we yeah. were losing it quite quickly. But I do think Cuckoo, and I do love the way you say Cuckoo, Raymond, I have to say. <laughs> um, but he, he was outstanding, I thought, not only for his general play. His first touch is great, very similar to Bruno's, another Spanish player in a wing-back position. Um, or, or, and or lots of pace. Position. I mean, lots real pace. pace. Yeah. I mean, having the prospect of uh, a fit Lamptey on one side yeah. and a fit oh. Cuckoo on the other. <laughs> You know, that would I be something, I'll, wouldn't it? Because yeah. he, he makes the right decisions. He seems to know when to try and push it past a player, when to lay it off. Clever little turns and nuances to, to help make the space. He's, he's a quality player and he's going to get better all the time, isn't he? He seems to have a bit more... Well, he seems to have a, a little bit, slightly more pace than he did last week and slightly more composure, slightly more uh, strength as well on the ball. 
I think he's um, he's learning every every week here. It's going to be well uh, uh, in the first half because he was playing in front of me in the first half. Yeah. Um, he didn't make any mistakes defensively, yeah. and he played well. There was one moment where he tracked back and diverted the ball yeah. you know, for a, a corner, mm-hmm. just sort of shot, shot it out and stopping the Leicester yeah. player who was inside our penalty yeah. area from getting it yeah. um, across. It's harder for me to see his defensive work because mm. it was in the far corner away from me, yeah. but I got the impression he isn't beaten easily. No. So. But he does need you know, somebody in front of him you know, doing some covering back and, and supporting him. Yeah. Might yeah. be interesting ultimately seeing March in front of him yeah. and the two of them being able to yeah. interchange. Yeah, well, it felt to me that March was just playing ahead of Veltman. It was more like a four at the back today. That seemed to be the way the defence was set up. Almost. March was dropping in as and when, but he was getting further more advanced. And I think it was pushing Leicester back a little bit after an initial, as you said, the first 10 minutes, 10, 12 minutes, the first half, it was all Leicester. They looked very good. And it was a classic case of us freezing as usual against that team that's our bogey side. But in the end, we came back into it, did the damage in our, as you called it, half of the game from sort of 10, 12 minutes until just before the hour mark. And Leicester crept back in. Um, luckily, a mixture of hanging on plus the goals being disallowed meant that we could come away with the win. It may have come at a cost, though. Uh, late in the first half, Basuma got a knock to the knee of some sort. He was struggling with it, and he, he, I, I had no doubt he was coming off at half-time. It looked like Mwepo was actually going to replace him before half-time, then put his bit back on. Uh, Basuma continued to sort of struggle a bit, and then he went down on his back in the, um, the Albion half after the half-time whistle. So thought, no chance he's coming back on. He did. Bizarrely, he did come back on. So obviously they gave him some work at half-time and thought he was all right. But um, ultimately he did come off in the end as a sub. Well, if we're about, about 70 minutes. 70 okay. minutes, yeah. So yeah. it's a lot later than I expected. If he is missing for any games, particularly the next one, Palace, it's going to be a bit of a blow though, isn't it? And hard to replace. Oh, I think so, because there's no obvious uh, substitute for him in that defensive midfield yeah. role. Yeah. And Casido's out alone who might have been or might be in the future a possibility and Weppo looks quite shaky today I think he's going to take time to well, get he, into he's playing him as a sort of almost a right wing back which yeah. isn't really his mm. position and, so you... uh, and he was coming off having had a um, you know, not having played at all yeah. and having had a long gap if he yeah. had to have the, you know, the Covid ping that yeah. would, would have been training to the yeah. same yeah, true. he had so, a couple of moments but nonetheless mm. just isn't used Particularly the pace of this game is particularly quick. And I think from that viewpoint, it was interesting there was Leicester playing the ball along the ground a lot. That Duffy, who I think was son, was less effective because it wasn't a question of you know, the, the balls they just punted downfield. Duffy was winning, but the sort of they weren't bringing the balls across, so Duffy wasn't as able to yeah. clear with his, with his head. Yeah. Um, but it was. And Veltman's looked slightly. Yeah. off the pace mm. for him yeah. but again he had a long period when he hasn't been playing this yeah. is only his second game yeah. back, so, so. I think it's more likely Modder's going to step in for Basuma in one sense maybe that's good because Basuma you've got to protect him a little bit I think I, don't, I do wonder with derby games if it did get a bit spicy this one which it could do um, you know Vieira tended to get spicy in the grudge match yesterday in his time who knows it could turn into a game where you sort of want that precious asset not, not involved However, you, he's such a good player, you wouldn't want, want him missing. But if, if Moda comes into that role, he would do all right. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if 
Lalana didn't play deep half. Yeah, and, McCall- yeah. and McAllister, who's a, yeah. he a scored last more, season against them, and, and a little bit more of a tactor, I think. Yeah, he's got yeah. more bite, hasn't he? Yeah. More attitude and swagger for those sort of games. Yeah, could could be good. Yeah. Anyway, well, that that bit about sums it up. Here we're standing after a very long wait at um, Falmouth Station, going off towards Lewis. Um, our train, I think, is due in a minute, so we'll round it off there. Thanks very much for joining me, the gent Raymond. Not at all. My pleasure, Russell. And, uh, and obviously, you know, fingers crossed, not only for next Monday against Palace, but uh, also the cup game against Swansea on, on Wednesday, I believe. Yes, indeed. Yes, absolutely. Well, thanks, Raymond. Cheers. Bye. So there was Raymond the Gent with his views of the game. I think he's pretty much summed it up there. In terms of some of those individuals, though, I mean, some great performances. I mentioned it on the on the chat there, and I'll mention it again. Kukuria, I thought, was absolutely outstanding. Um, I, I know, Andy, you were at the Brentford game as well uh, as me, and um, he's seemingly stepping on. I don't know that it's too early to measure in just two games, but I've got the feeling here this man is going to step on in 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 strides game by game here because he looked already a lot better in game two versus game one there he seemed to be out half a yard quicker he seemed to have more strength more i don't know just just a bit more confidence on the ball didn't he and um uh, and he had a bit of cheek and a little bit of swagger about him too didn't he it, yes he did and it, and it, and and i totally agree I, as i thought there was quite a noticeable upgrade in his performance yeah um on sunday as opposed to the game at Brentford, where where I I thought he did very well for like a first game, first game in English football, especially in a competitive game yeah, I did. Like that I against did. Brentford, who you know provided a pretty stiff test for him. And um, but here, I think we saw more of we saw more of the footballer on Sunday. Maybe that's because we were playing Leicester, like uh, not as physical as, as Brentford. But we really got to see what it is the club thought they were buying when they when they got him because that's what we've been crying out for. We we haven't had we haven't had the width. I think um, obviously we've missed it with Lamptey and with March being out. I mean, not really having any sort of like designated wide players rather than sort of converted wide players has, has really sort of hit us. And he looked, he looked, he looked terrific. He kept them honest the whole game. Some of uh, that early run where he, he just ghosted pass, just ghosted pass them, and actually put around. And his his ball into the box was really good as well. So like the, the end result, it's not just like the flashy, take, take a player on. He, he can he can put a pass in as well. He struck me as a guy who seems to have the attributes of Bruno in terms of his general swagger on the pitch and his first touch, which is delicious. Yeah. And some of the, I don't know, some of the um, adventure of Calderon, some of the swagger that Calderon's got, that buccaneering style as well. He's got the mixture of the two. And he's still a young lad, isn't he? Is he 23, I think? Yeah, you know I'm right think in saying? So. Yeah. And, you know, he, he's got a lot to learn still, I'm sure, about the game, but he's already looking great. He seemed to know when to when to hold on to the ball, when to when to when to time things for a later pass, when to play it early, when to run on, when to take his man on, when to screw with his head for a moment and then lay off the ball somewhere. His it just his, his um, decision-making seemed to be 
um, I think better than Brentford. Certainly, it was brilliant on the day anyway. And um, as I said, those other attributes have all come to the fore. He's well, going to be were, a star, isn't he? Yeah, we were saying in the break, though, it's not fully surprising because he's obviously, you know, he obviously wasn't in the Spain squad for the Euros, but he was in the team that played when the rest of the Spain squad got, you know, kind of got, you know, got COVID and or got had to be isolating from COVID. So, I mean, he's technically in the 24 to 34 number of players in Spain. And I know it's not exactly because they're different players, different positions, but so, I mean, he's, he's definitely, and any player who can get into that sort of level, the surprise in a way at 23 is no one else came in for him. You know, in a way, it's surprising that, you know, he went to a team in Premier League who were at our level rather than either moving up La Liga or getting a higher Premier League side, like West Ham or something like that, who are expected to finish higher than us. Hmm. And he looks like a cartoon character. It's brilliant, isn't it? His hair, literally, he looks like um, Sideshow Bob, doesn't he? As somebody said earlier on. Um, <laughs> you're stealing, you're stealing Steve's job jokes, are you? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, I'm afraid so, yes. You did, you did say he was quite like Bruno. Bruno's got no hair. Yes, it's quite a contrast in that regard, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, it's, it's just a real uh, complete tumbleweed of hair, isn't it? I mean, it's... There's, there's players like him, isn't there? Obviously, you've got Gwendia, who, of course, we have, have a loving relationship with from the uh, from the game of the Amex a couple of seasons ago. And then you've got David Luiz, the most maverick of all defenders. Maverick's not a good word to use when you're talking about defenders, in my opinion. But anyway, he um he's got um he's got the hairstyle of those guys, but I reckon he's a better better footballer. Certainly um certainly a better um uh, certainly a better look, I think, for the big hair than the other two. Um, but he looks he looks great on the ball, and I think he's going to get better and better. And can you imagine? I don't know if it'll happen so soon as that, but um, it depends how he goes with his run out. I'm guessing he's going to get on Wednesday uh, in the League Cup. Tarek Lamptey will probably play some part. But let's let's say that um, both him and Kukurea are playing on the wings in wing back roles against Palace. You're almost not too worried about Basuma having possibly had a knock and maybe not being available. You almost don't worry if you've got those two on the wing backs, do you? I still worry about Basuma being out for <laughs> against Palace, to be honest. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think, I mean, the two, the thought of the two of them, of Lamptey in the form he started last season in, back in this side with the way we're playing at the moment and the way we're picking up results. You know, I mean, mm. we'd, we'd immediately create more chances because there would, A, be more chances created by him, but also there'd be more space for other players as well because he, they, t- other teams can't mm. deal with him unless they at least double up. So, and you have both Cucurella and Lamptey on the flanks. Because, I mean, the problem was last year, it, when they did double up on Lamptey, we sometimes didn't have the quality elsewhere. But if they've got both yeah. of them, that's a, that's a real option. And with but our forward line actually functioning really well at the moment as well, with, with Trossard, Mope, and now Welbeck all looking in quite good form as well. There's, yeah, there's first, a lot of threat. first 11. And, yeah, and set pieces as well with, with um, Duffy and Duncan. Our first 11 or 12, 13, 14 is pretty strong now. And I think, yes, we would be able to exploit um, somebody like that um, getting forward and and causing two defenders to be distracted rather than one. And we're going to benefit more from that now than we would have done in the past. And if they don't put two players on Lamptey, then we know that he can tear any defender apart in the Premier League. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was great to actually see him in the flesh, actually, on on Sunday. Yesterday, he was uh, warming up down the touchline in the sort of the northwest corner of the pitch um, near where I'm sitting in the West Upper. And uh, it was good to see him actually in the flesh uh, for a change rather than just, uh, you know, on TV screens. Um, 
we've got to talk about other players though. Kukureya was brilliant, and he was my man of the match, and um, he was the uh, sponsor's man of the match. Not that, that necessarily means anything, but actually on this occasion, I think it was correct. Um, but other people weren't. I mean, he was he came sixth on the BBC ratings apparently, um, which is I think a public vote. But nonetheless, public votes haven't always gone very well, have they? Look at reality TV. Well, I'll try not to, but uh, but if you know, they people don't pick for the right reasons. Kukureya for me was man of the match. He was outstanding, not only for his attacking attributes, his first touch, his decision making that we've talked about, but the defensive stuff he did in the second half was absolutely brilliant. Not only his anticipation, how proactively he would close down the fullbacks, as you said um, earlier on, um, but also the sort of the, the, the range he got on his clearances. It wasn't just hoofing it away, there was an intelligence to the way he was trying to clear the ball. He seemed to be composed at the right moments. He kept his cool and he just looked such a star. However, there were some other good performances. I think Welbeck, again, I don't think he was that great against Brentford. And maybe Andy, you might agree with that. He looked a bit ropey. Yeah. First game back, really, you know, as a starter. Um, but he but he had a good game, didn't he? And um, I think Morpay had a good game. I think Duffy was excellent, again, yeah, apart Duffy from some wayward bad. passing in the first half. Wasn't that so good, pretty but... much sums up Shane Duffy, though, to be fair to him. And he's... You know, hmm. I mean, his passing is never going to be of the quality yeah. of like of White and Webster and that sort of thing. But he, I mean, you've got to say it's a revelation this season so far, given hmm. where what happened to him last season at Celtic and how, you know, how, how it must have been an awful season for him. And he obviously got, a, I mean, it's yeah. also having a dreadful season so far without him as well. So I think what happened at Celtic last year was far more down to them generally rather yeah. than Duffy. I've, yeah, evident really by what's happened this season. And I think, I don't know, Steve, if you'll agree, we seem to have this narrative, don't we, Steve, that, um, of players that were written off and come back. I think people were writing Bruno off. People were writing Pascal Roche off. And then, of course, they were writing Shane Duffy off. I'm just wondering if, um, you know, there's still time for Lucardia. <laughs> Why is everyone that laughing? Bit, that, that might be a stretch too far. But I think what, what you get with Duffy is, what is his job in the team? What does he think his job in the team is? They, they shall not score. So therefore, if I head in the way, my body in the way, my legs, anything, they won't score. And that's what his job is. Yeah, which Gandalf is, of centre-backing. Yeah. yeah. Will, in will addition he, of the fact he also is quite decent in the other opposition box as well, as he's shown already this season. But is he a dunk or a Webster or a White, which is, give me the ball and I will stride out like a mm. Disney character with the ball. Or no, play a seventy-five yard diag. No. no. He is <laughs> yeah. the Norman Hunter of this era, which is I will stop anything coming towards my goal and I will do my best to make sure they don't score. And that's what we get. So and him and him and Dunk know each other's game so blooming well that mm. between them they play to each other's strengths. And so we've now got Duffy back to what we had under the Hewton era, which is a bloody good centre half. Is he a ball playing centre half in the Potter era? Not really, but Potter knows what he's got now. Now that he's seen him, yeah, maybe part of the reason actually that we're not creating quite the chances we were last season is we're having to sit a little bit deeper to cover the loss of the white and obviously this weekend Webster pace as well with Duffy in there and maybe Veltman who's also not the quickest 
but when maybe no sitting those few couple of yards deeper because of the danger of someone getting in behind Duffy and Dunk, neither of whom are particularly quick. But there's no point creating that many chances if we're not going to take no, them. Absolutely. And I'm not saying so, it's a wrong decision. I'm just saying maybe that's part of the reason why. That's we're probably it. the rationale behind it, which yeah. is, you know, and we know with Potter, if he doesn't fancy a player, he won't play them. You know, whether it's Lacardia or that person called Andoni that's now off at Cadiz. <coughs> Jahanbach. <coughs> Jahanbach, yeah. again, scoring again, but in Holland. Yes, I, I think Duffy was always... he. Was, I think Potter was never wanting to get rid of him. I think he'd always said to him, probably he'd have happily had him last season doing what he did the year before, playing a bit part role and being involved, but maybe not being a regular. And Duffy, I think, was probably the one who said, look, I want to be a regular somewhere. And, and got the move to Celtic. I don't think Potter ever pushed Duffy out in a way. Maybe the suggestion is that he he pushed out Andoni and Lacardi the first season he was there because of or and, that they they left because of dis, whatever. Dis, wholeheartedly, dis, I'd dis, agree because Duffy went to Celtic because of his boyhood dreams. Yeah, and ended up joining a basket case of a club. Yeah, on paper it was a dream, wasn't it? But I mean, <laughs> he obviously went there completely the wrong time and a terrible time for Celtic. And yeah, they they. Everything just seems. I mean, it's more and more clear that he wasn't the problem last year because they've they've had their worst ever start this season. Into SPL well, or almost in the away game, and now we've got the bromance back at the Albion with Duffy and Dunk. Yeah, because they're good mates, aren't they? they? They clearly are genuinely good mates, and I think he is genuinely a, a very loved presence within the squad, isn't he, Duffy? As yeah. as a personality, by all accounts, I think uh, we know with Potter what he wants is team players. Yeah. Yeah, not I'm I'm the big I am, which is what we are, I think we have with Andoni. Mm. And when he got sent off against Southampton, that was the the start of his downward spiral with us. Yeah, mm. absolutely. To see Duncan Duffy reunited it is it's just I you know for you know for us it's just it's just great to see that brilliant team back together again. And you know, yeah. we've got we got nine other players to like actually play some football. Let Shane just get in the flipping way. That's his job. But as I said, that's, that's what he loves to do, which is stop what I can. And if I can be effective at the other end, like he has been this season, then it's a win-win. And he's obviously absolutely loving it as well at the moment. After what was, must have been a really tough year, and obviously with his dad dying as well, it's been a really tough time over the last year or so and he's come in probably not expected to start back here I mean he's it, frankly if we'd got an offer early summer for a transfer we probably would have taken it but because we haven't had an offer and we haven't and we've had a few injuries he's got in a team and he's now on the, in there on merit and he's loving you know every single win he seems to be he's probably if anything the most passionate player out there he loves it doesn't he and I think we forget that it's only strikers that thrive on confidence it's also mm. defenders yeah. and obviously with even with Trossard in that advanced midfield role, you know, they love to be valued in what they do and want to do what they do. So I think with him being back with Dunk, it it's played right into his hands. And yes, he's had a, a rubbish time with his father passing away. And I think that hit him harder than anyone would have thought of because we, we aren't Shane Duffy. We don't know how he how close he was to his father. We knew his father used to post a lot on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, about how good his son was, this, that and the other. And to suddenly lose that rock behind him, 
must have mm. been really tough. And he thought he'd solve, in my opinion, thought he'd solve that that problem by going to his boyhood club Celtic yeah. to reignite his love for the game. Hundred percent, I agree with that. Yeah, I think I think that's what happened there, isn't it? Yeah. But, uh, one other player we, you mentioned earlier, Andy, and I'll come back to you on him. Uh, Trossard, he had a great game. He's, he's getting a greater consistency, isn't he? He was really influential this, in this match. I thought um, had a great, had a good game. Yeah, I think like in the in the absence of growth now, I think he's becoming the the biggest creative force in the team. Um, he doesn't sit to one position. He's he's quite happy to go where the space is and make his own mind up as to as to as to how to keep the, the play moving on. But he is a he's a busy player and he's playing with confidence and purpose. Um and there's always a chance he can make something happen. I mean you know sometimes it won't it you know he'll misplace it or it won't come off. But you, you always think something might happen here when he gets the ball. And um and you know definitely once or twice in the game he's going to make something happen. And uh, he's been pretty successful so far this season. I think he's been. We've seen flashes of what a, what a good player he's been over over his tenure here, but now we're, we're now we're seeing it pretty much every week, as opposed to like maybe once a month or something like that. He's mm. he'd be one of the first names on the team sheet now for sure. I think this is a key key part of the team, isn't it? Him him getting greater consistency, being a creative attacking player, albeit not a striker, but nonetheless he. If he can start mucking with more goals, which is looking like he might do, and if not scoring goals, then creating more goals than previously for other players, that's going to be a key element in, well, riding over this issue of not getting a striker and um, to sorting out our um, our issues up front a little bit more anyway. I it? also is think it... if if we have Lamptey fit and playing on the other flank and then like Trossard and, Mal- and Malpe firing, it does mean the games like Everton where I do think we, I think I said in the, on the pod, we lost the midfield a bit and Lalana and wasn't offering enough support defensively to Basuma. We can play the extra more defensive player like Moda alongside Basuma mm. if needed and we have enough attacking outlets then. I think Lalana's in there defensive in, in, in one of the two central midfield roles sometimes because we don't have enough creativity further forward. But if we've got the two wing-backs and the front three of Welbeck, Malpe and Trossard all functioning, it means we can have that extra more defensive option in, say, Moda alongside Bissouma or, or Weipu if he comes good or, or even Alzate or whoever. But they've got that option there. You know, it doesn't mean they, they don't have to feel they can. They have to go more attacking in midfield. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, indeed. And, um, well, um, I've got to say I'm, I'm enjoying the beers tonight. I've had a bit of a Northern Monk. Uh, session IPA. I'm now on a, a, an Itchin Valley Brewery, the Royal Green Jackets um, bitter, which is really nice, actually, quite nice. Um, Steve is on the uh, Savvy B, isn't he? And just uh, a bit of a comfort break, was it just now, sir? By any chance? No, I just went to check on the wife. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Andy, you're on the beers tonight, by the looks of it. What have you got there? Um, I have got a free bird. Oh, yeah, you showed us there. Um, That's what, from yeah. Was it the the big the Beguiles Brewery? I think mm. in uh, oh yeah Beguile Brewing Company from Chicago, Illinois. Oh, nice, very good. Could see a beer fifty two have sent me some beers from Chicago this month. 
Lovely. <laughs> oh, I've skipped that one. I'm on the two monthly thing with Beer 52 now. I got into trouble. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> on, yeah, I'm on, I'm on a, the, the two month thing as well. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and Pete, Peter, are you on anything there? Tonight, I'm, I'm you... going crazy and on a combination of chamomile tea and water. Easy there. Easy. <laughs> you know how to rock. I am. I'm crazy. I'm, I'm a bit out of control, to be honest. I need to back off a bit. <laughs> well, the Amex was rocking, wasn't it? I mean, people talk about the atmosphere. I don't think it was anything out of the ordinary earlier in the game. But as the, the game wore on, I think the tension of that match really spiked up the atmosphere. I thought it was great in the last 10 to 15 minutes, wasn't it? Really, really buzzing. Um, Steve, Andy, you were at the game. Would you agree with that? And were you enjoying in there? Well, Steve, you're in the East. So, I mean, I don't know. Is there much noise going on over that side? Well, it depends when they put the books down. <laughs> and the flasks, yeah. I'm not allowed flasks. You're I? not allowed flasks or bottle tops. No, even even in our end, because, you know, in the children or the family stand, I should say, the kids are brilliant. They all want to cheer. They shout and they sing. It's not like being in the middle of the East stand where you've got the gentrified area you know so it's not quite the north and the north sand collective but it was great i mean i mean it, nothing will still touch sheffield sheffield wednesday in the playoff semi you know i don't think anything will touch that for a long while but i think we were the 12th man for that last 10 minutes you know i think, I think you could sense that the team needed the crowd sense that the team needed that extra bit of support <laughs> yes. to help them get. I think. Yes. I think. That, I think. I think we all appreciated how hard they were working to keep Leicester at bay, and you know, credit to Leicester, they, you know, they finally looked like the Leicester that we would that we expected. Very fast moving, pacey, attacking, good quality football, and we were we were having to dig in to to you know keep the keep the lead and the crowd got you know got behind the team when that when the team needed it whether it made any difference or not i don't know but it felt like also something that we needed to do to almost release the tension yeah. from from the way that we were feeling is like well at least if you're you know singing and shouting you're sort of getting rid of some of that tension yourself as you're watching the game but it was it was as loud as i've heard it for a, for a league match in, in in a long time and yeah you know, i think i think the atmosphere at the amex is actually a lot better than people say having been to many you know many, like all of the all of the away grass except for the king power i think the amex compares relatively favorably favorably with most of them um but this it did feel a little bit special i just think there was some there was a an excitement in the crowd that like is what this start of the season is just ridiculous for us in the premier league to win four out of five <laughs> games and to be in the top four you know and you know everyone knows we've probably got a limited shelf life of being able to enjoy it but i tell you what whilst we're there i'm going to enjoy it and you really want yeah you wanted to hold on if we've got that to hold on to let's try and hold on to it and i think the crowd played their part Played their part in helping the team do it on Sunday because it, it, you know, it was it was really brilliant. I mean, I just thought it was just great all over. It really, really was, wasn't it? Actually, Andy, yeah, I agree with you. It's interesting. Crowd dynamics is weird as well because um, unfortunately, Jimmy Greaves passed away. Well, 
mention a bit about him in a minute, but because there was um, a minute's applause scheduled for the three games that were played, we our game was simultaneously running alongside the West Ham Man U game and then Chelsea um, were at Tottenham later on. But in all three of those games, there was a minute's applause schedule. And it was interesting that when the players started to formulate in their semicircles either side of the of the centre circle, um, that the crowd hushed down almost to a silence through no prompting other than just the visuals of seeing the players on the pitch. And I think there was an automatic assumption this was going to be a minute silence, not a minute's applause. I, I didn't really hear any announcement. I don't know if any was made, but I didn't know what was happening. And everyone hushed down. And I thought, oh, OK, this is really kind of very well-behaved behaviour. And then gradually a ripple of applause occurred and it went into a full-on minute's applause. But it, it really, I think that was one of the times you really did want it to be a, a minute's silence. Because I did, actually. But the referee... I don't think anyone would have... The referee started the, the applause. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I just I mean, I just found out just before I left for the game. Hmm. Yeah. Jimmy yeah, passed yeah. and... Um, Really, really sad. Um, I was actually lucky enough to watch him play. Oh, right. Uh, at the end of his career when he was playing for Barnet, at the end of the 70s, when he played in midfield, he was not didn't really have the legs for, for being a forward. But he played really well for Barnet. And, I, you know, obviously like in, in, in North London, he was, a, you know, he was a legend throughout England, but I think in North London as well. In particular... Um, so everybody knew Jimmy Greaves was, and it's like, you know, and as a youngster, it's like, oh wow, this is Jimmy Greaves is so exciting, and um, and and he gave everything, he gave everything for Barnet. He, he always spoke fondly about playing, playing for the bees, and um, yeah, it was just really, it was just really, really sad. Just a great, a great player, really, really great footballer, mm. and uh, yeah, I was glad that I was able to watch him play. Well, we've lost, we've lost far too many of the greats in a very short space of time. For me, Saint and Greasy was part of my upbringing at home, watching on TV. And I mean, I don't remember him as a player. I never saw him as a player. But I mean, his stats are 382 goals in 579 games. Insane record. Um, he wasn't the top scorer in England, but he, he had, the, I think, the best ratio of goals per games, which is just a mark of the man. He's, He's the absolutely top in brilliant. The top division, isn't he? I think I was sat on match today yesterday. Only, only Ronaldo and Messi have ever scored more top flight goals in the top five league, big five leagues. That's right. Has, yeah. Which is yeah. A, and it's a record that I don't think anyone's going to get near to as well. In the, if no, it, I was no. going to say exactly the same as you, though. Satan Greavesy was something when I started watching football, I grew up watching. And it's so sad that both of them have, have passed away this year. It's yeah, like, I mean, someone said, you know, you hope there's a saint waiting at the pearly gates for Greavesy, and you, you kind of do want that, don't you? I remember loving that when I was young, growing up, and, you know, first getting into football. It was such a, you know, it made football yeah, it fun, quite... and it was something that really kind of, you know, encouraged me to start watching and then to obviously go into games and everything, so. Absolutely. The only thing about it, I think it overlapped with football focus, so it created a bit of a conflict. But apart from that, it was great. It was on ITV, of course, Saint of Greavesy. Uh, Steve, yeah. I think it's quite poignant, actually, the day that he passed away, that it was Tottenham v Chelsea. You know, his two big clubs that he played for. Chelsea, who he started his career with, and then moved on eventually to Tottenham. So for them to play each other on the day that he passed Mm. away was a poignant memory for everyone. Because, I mean, I wasn't fortunate enough to be young enough like Andy was at the time (laughs) to watch him play. But his goals per game ratio 
is second to none. Yeah, even Milan, where he deemed as not having done well. I mean, it was only fun. He was unsettled there, but his ratio was nine goals in 12 games yeah. in a division where you've got, you know, the Catanacho and you just you don't well, get a chance was, to score. There was no... Strikers never fared well in Italy back in those days. Yeah. And yet, there he was. I think, am I correct in saying that he scored for every club on his debut? Yeah. He did, yeah. Anything. You know, it's crazy to think that, you know, where I wonder what would England have done in 66 if he'd, so obviously Hurst wouldn't have been in the team if he'd been fit for 66. No, he, he was coming no Yeah, well, exactly. He would he have been top scorer in the World Cup, quite possibly, given the, the record he had. Which is why it was a shame that it took him so long to get his World Cup winner's medal. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, indeed. And it's, somebody said, I think it was, was it Shearer that said he should have been knighted on the yeah. match of the day coverage? Yeah, and he, he, he had a bit of almost like a choked up tear in his eye when he said that. He, I think he felt quite uh, emotional about that. I, mean, yeah. I, I wasn't too happy with Shearer later on in the programme, but when he said that, <laughs> um, I just thought, you've got that spot on, Alan. You've got that spot on, mate. Yeah, yeah. Everyone and, should do I mean, the law of averages after a while, you know. He's... Yeah. I mean, his, his ratio, Spurs, he played most of his games for 220 goals in 321 games. That's insane. Yeah. And I mean, you know, his ratio is higher than Gert Muller, who also unfortunately um, lost his life this year. He passed away. But, um, you know, th- those players are on a different plane. You I think about one in past... two being a very good record for a striker. And. Hmm. That's just like yes. a goal a game, pretty. You know, it's like it's phenomenal. I mean, yeah. And in in those days, also, it's a much more even division as well. I'd say there wasn't the gulf between the top and bottom like there is in the Premier League now, where players yeah. can score, you know, twenty five goals because they got so, the, the top six have got so many more resources. I mean, but it was also, a lot more even. So I was going to say, but also back then they didn't favour the attacker like they do today. Yes, that's right. You know, yeah. As as a defender, you could basically break a leg of a, a striker and just get a a wagging finger by the referee. You know, whereas yeah. today, you know, there is a protection of strikers to generate more goals. So imagine what he would have been like in today's mm. era. Not, not notwithstanding pitches and all that sort of stuff oh, as well. I mean, the baseball yeah. ground, as we know from many <laughs> yeah. a year. <laughs> Yeah, they were oh. saying the same on match today last night. How we'd have done on the other yeah, beautiful, glorious pitches of the carpets that we have today. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the recovery systems, you know, the medical care and all the kind of you know, uh, yeah, he retired quite, and all that. Relatively young, didn't he, from memory? Because he, hmm, he retired so. quite young, early thirties. Yeah, I think so. He played, played with Bobby Smith, who went on to play for the Albion, of course, as well, amongst other things. Um, but I think it's fair to say he's right up there. He is probably, I think he almost undoubtedly is the, the greatest striker of all time of English origin anyway. Um, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, it's just incredible record. It's just a shame, as, as we've just said already about the World Cup, that he wasn't the pinnacle of that as well, from just from the point of view of how talented he was. I mean, fair play to Jeff Hurst, of course. Um, but, you know, the fact he wasn't having more involvement, particularly in the final, that's a great shame. But it is what it is. He went on to play for Brentwood, Chelmsford City, Barnet, who you've mentioned already, Andy, and, and then Woodford Town in his later years. I think he played on into quite an older age. Yeah, I but, think um, I looked, just looked up. He was 31 when he, reti- when he effectively retired from top flight football or didn't stop playing. Yeah. So, I mean, his, re- his top flight record, probably, if he hadn't had the injuries, would have gone on for, I mean, for probably quite a few more years. But And then, yeah, yeah. kind of carried on into his 40s at a lower level. 
Yeah, quite diminutive, I think. He was quick over 20 yards, according to Alan Mullery, who was interviewed at the Amex uh, on the day of his passing yesterday. And, um, you know, I think he was he was one of those those classic smaller strikers that were just was nippy, fast, over a short distance. Deadly yeah, finisher. Quite a nice interview with Mullers, actually, because he just said, yeah. He, yeah, he was quite lazy, but he just said, <laughs> you know, like, you do all the work, I'll do all the scoring. And that's how it worked. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I else? remember yeah. a quick quote that he once said. He said, I had a goal scoring drought once. It's the worst 15 minutes of my career. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? No one makes quotes like that anymore, do they? It, it wouldn't cost much to do it. It's not, it's not controversial, is it, to do that sort of thing? But no one makes comments like that anymore. It's great. Love it. Right, well, um, final bit for us. I don't think I'm going to do a separate one. So, um, Peter, I think you'll agree we've, we're going to just bang out a, a quick Palace preview now. Yeah. We don't want to invite any Palace well, lots. And Swansea is live, though, for, for Wednesday. Swansea as well. as well, yeah. We're recording this Monday. Swansea, of course, is Wednesday, the League Cup third round. At home at the Amex, which unfortunately I can't go to. Is anyone going to that game? Of interest? Yes. No. Oh, Andy's going. Oh, right. We'll have to get a match special from you there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let us know what it's like anyway. Yeah, um, any thoughts on, on... I mean, we're going to see... Um, one of the players we didn't mention, actually, in performances was um, Mwepu. Uh, now, of course, well, Basuma took a knock in the, in the first half. We thought he was going off. Mwepu was warming up. Uh, this is obviously against, um, against Leicester. Um, and then towards the end, he, he chased down someone in the corner flag. And I think we realised, OK... Um, Graham's going to let him last till half time. So Weppo put his bib back on. They went in for half time, and we fully expected Basuma to not come out, but he did and lasted till about the 70th minute. And when he was replaced, it wasn't with Weppo. And Weppo did come on, and I think he struggled. He didn't really look like he was attuned to the pace or the culture of the game, did he really, uh, in this yeah. one? Leicester's a but he, he needs time on Wednesday, doesn't he? Um, yeah, Leicester's a tough opponent to come on, particularly when Leicester had already got a head of steam up. It's, you know, that's, it's, it's not an, that's not an easy, that's not an easy game to come into. And yeah, and, it, and it, you know, he, he did, he did struggle a bit. And, but I, I, but I think it's probably to be expected. It take, it, you know, particularly when you're playing a quality team like Leicester, you are going to, you are going to, struggle if it's like your first real taste of like English football yeah it's, it's easy to forget I think that um, Basuma did struggle at first as well when he came over and we're quite lucky now that we've got the options in midfield to bring him in gently but I think Wepu also struggled to be honest the, the Burnley game the, he played the first half in what was the most bizarre formation I've ever seen and I don't no one quite knows who played where um, and he struggled there as well I think the physicality and the pace is he's not used to because I don't think the Austrian league is that quick or or and the players mm. aren't that physical so I think you know players take time to get used to it and obviously some like Cucurella obviously it was important that he was able to come in and do pretty much come in straight away you know we needed him pretty early on but with with, with we've got time you know we've got Moda in there we've got Lalana, we've got Basuma so he has time to, to develop and play some cup games and yeah. come on and play a few times a bit, bit, bit late on in the league hopefully when we're comfortably ahead yeah. or something like that and you know develop and then hope they mean I'm assuming that Basuma will go next summer. Hopefully, by then we developed him into the sort of player who can come in and take Basuma's yeah. place. Yeah. Well, I think with Boepo, yeah. the the pass that he made for the goal at Cardiff. Yeah. Yes. Great ball forward. That was beautiful. I mean, that's. 
And you're right, Peter, I'd echo what you said about Basuma. When he first started, you think, what have we signed here? Out of pace, can't keep up with the game. And now look at him. Gave the ball away a lot as well from memory when he first came in. He he was he was quite careless in possession at times. And he's, you know, now and it's taken it took him, I would say, almost almost two seasons to really get that place permanently in the team. It was just before lockdown where he really started to become the three or four games before lockdown, he really started to show consistency. And then he's carried that on pretty much ever since then. But before then, I'd say he wasn't someone you'd say definitely started over Stevens and Proper and and others. He was someone who you could say would start sometimes, but maybe not other times. And, you know, it, I mean, that's quite a long time to settle in, really, in a way. But then he was young and, you know, it's a different, very different football. And according to him now, he's the best midfielder in the Premier League. That's exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it was tongue-in-cheek tongue a little bit. But it was, I mean, it was an expression of confidence more than arrogance, wasn't it, that one? He, he was yeah. just trying to say, look, I've got to believe I, I, can, I am or I can be that. Um, but so, yeah, people can take it how they want. But I, I, I liked it. I think yeah, it was said with a wink. And um, yeah, I mean, I hope he's, he's okay. He's one, of the, he's one of the best midfielders in this league. He won't. Yeah. Oh, well, I think so. not. He's not the best, but but he's he's in the conversation for like top. Absolutely, like, I really rate Ndidi. I think he's a, he, he's a great replacement yeah. for Conte at Leicester. And yet, um, uh, Basuma's stats are better this season than Ndidi's. And obviously, Conte is brilliant. And you've got now yeah, you can you could talk about one or two of the other big club players as well, like yeah, um, Fabinho, Fernandinho, and Fabinho, and people like that. But you know, but we're talking in that league. We're talking three, mm. four, five players, and he's one of them. Well, I mean, and that we all, I think fantastic. we all accept that when he cut, when he leaves this summer, probably it will be a big four. It won't be a big six like Tottenham and Arsenal. It will be one yeah. of the big four who take him, or yeah. a big club like PSG or someone like that overseas. We're not talking well, gonna, about, you know, Arsenal or that sort of thing. He's, he's going to want Champions club. League football, isn't yeah. he? So he's got to stay with us, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> he's still got a qualifying fourth, though. You know, he might have a difficult third round qualifying tie yet. I know, yeah. Well, yeah. We're only we're only a point off first, so it's true. Yeah, we could be top next weekend. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, annoyingly, I was thinking of um, if Chelsea had not won at Tottenham and the United and West Ham had equalised late on, we'd only be relying on Liverpool failing to win and then go top at Palace. But yeah. I think with all three of them <laughs> failing to win would be a bit much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah. But no, I, mean, I do think, yeah, on Wednesday, I think Wepo's got to get some game time. It really is important to to get him accustomed to English football. Hopefully and it's, a good, of, it's um, a good test, isn't it? Yeah, hopefully Lamptey gets some time. Hopefully the likes of Roberts and Richards get some more time as yeah. well. Yeah. And um, uh, Songwe as well, if he, he's well, yeah, available. Well, given we've loaned out most of the team that played at Cardiff. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. That's right. It's, it's going to be tricky. I mean, I, I suppose you give um, you try to give Conley a bit of time as well. Yeah. McAllister will he's... get a start because he hasn't started for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there might, and be, then of there, course, might, there might be one or two more familiar faces in this lineup than there were in the Cardiff one. Yeah, I think there will yeah. be. Well, I, I think Burn will start as well, seeing as he needs probably game time. Yeah, Burn came on as a sub, of course, yeah. uh, on Sunday. Um, fingers crossed to them anyway. I hope they do well. I hope we get through because I think it's beneficial to get as many yeah. games to have a run out for the for the yeah the peripheral the longer term. Players. I realise we're obviously not going to win the Premier League or probably all come top four, but I would really like yes, it if we, we, were, we were comfortable <laughs> on, enough to take a cup seriously and really give one of the cups a go because we could win yeah. a cup. You know, teams of, of you know mid-table Premier League teams do win one of the cups, yeah. and if we were if we were able to get 
you know, kind of, you know, uh, to mid-table the Premier League reasonably comfortably, that we could then say, well, we're going to stay up. We can actually maybe focus on the FA Cup game rather than the next next league game, whatever. We could actually win that. You know, it's, it's not impossible. Teams do do that. Well, as I said earlier, we've now got as many points today as we had by Christmas. Yeah. And we hadn't won a home game until about the end of January last year. Was it Spurs and like that? Yeah, it took, it took 21 games to get our fourth win last season. Yeah, which is incredible. And now we're a third of the way to safety, aren't we, effectively? Give or take maybe a point or so. Yeah. Um, which, which is insane. We've still got, um, you know, got games left in September. And, and you look uh, at... one... Sorry, go on. Sorry, go on, yeah. I was going to say, you look at the dross down the bottom as well already, the likes of Norwich and Newcastle and Burnley. I mean... I really think there are definitely three teams will be above this season. I know. I think Burnley are in trouble. Yeah, yeah, Burnley look in trouble. Newcastle look pretty awful, yeah. barring especially if they lose to Maximum as well. I mean, he's the only and one. Wilson's injured again, there. isn't he, at the moment? Yeah, Norwich lost at home to Watford at the weekend, who looked pretty dreadful yeah. when they played us. So the only the only downside is there's enough dross down there to think that Palace are going to get away with it again. Oh, I, think I think they, they probably they will. will. Yeah, oh, they oh, will. Compared to that, like, pa- pa- um, Palace, Palace. You know, we're going to talk about that now. Have disappointingly been quite good, yeah, in the games that yeah. I've seen them. Um, you know, they, I mean, certainly against Spurs, they were good. I, they I, 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 Spurs, so I mean, you know, so the fact that Spurs got Kane sort of took the sting out of Palace getting a win. Um, but I thought yeah, five points from five games, including Spurs, West Ham, Liverpool, and Chelsea, is actually not a bad return, yeah. And I, you know, watching match of the day, I they did they play quite well against Liverpool. Um, the, their problem was that they couldn't defend corners. Um, Which is actually oh, quite an outlet for us at the on Monday. <laughs> yeah, well, in fairness, <laughs> we couldn't defend corners on Sat on Sunday either. But we were just lucky that the Barnes was offside twice. I think I think <laughs> that is you know all the joking about VAR aside. I think we would have to ask questions about how come Leicester got two pretty firm yeah. headers, two yeah. two pretty firm goal scoring opportunities from from corners so we, I mean we have our frailties in that in that regard as well but I did think that Palace is defending just just on the set pieces their general defending was was really sound but at those set pieces it was it was actually really bad um so it might be something that we can exploit but um but yeah annoyingly yeah I thought I thought this season they'd be really rubbish and um, I don't think they are rubbish. Saturday. No, I, I agree. I think there's definitely a lot more. I mean, yeah, I think Norwich are already almost down. I mean, yeah, Norwich are terrible, don't they? Difficult games, but losing home to Watford already—it's—I mean, they—they they look pretty, pretty awful. Watford themselves look dreadful when we played them. I thought um, mm. Brentford, I think, will you know still struggle. I think they'll do enough. Southampton look pretty poor, although they got a good result the weekend. Newcastle look poor. Burnley look poor. Leeds, delightfully, are looking pretty awful. <laughs> look at the Leeds. glee on his face. <laughs> Well, I don't, I I don't think that, Leeds will go down, sadly, but they everyone, do look more so Everyone was just saying how entertaining that Leeds-Newcastle Castle. game was. And, 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 and it was, I suppose. There was, you know, a lot happened in it. A lot of, it wasn't good quality, was it? A lot it? of shots, but it was really not very good football. There, were no, there was no midfield. Yeah. It, and Leeds. Sam Maximan is very selfish. I mean, he's an electric player. But to I be think... honest, he's you know he, at the moment he's the only sort of player in that team. But mm. they there was no there was no midfield. They were just like 
just going running straight at each other. It was like you know watching like a like an NFL game, and it's like forty five, forty six. It's like well, okay, they're all very entertaining, but is, you know any defenders out there? Yeah. Be fair, us. Well, I think if you had Joe Linton as your strike partner, you'd be selfish as well. Yeah, I, yeah, that's I a good so. point. Yes, that's a good point. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, but I genuinely think. I mean, Leeds look like they've run out of ideas. Like Bielsa's, you know, Bielsa's going to have to change it because hmm. they're not they're not scoring as many got they're, they're minus seven. Newcastle are minus seven. Um, Peter's saying Bielsa doesn't have to change anything. Keep it as it is. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I, I don't. I think Patrick Bamford will end up actually being a one-season wonder. And once his goals go, Rafinha is still pretty useful, but they've not really bought well. Furpo sounds like a bit of a liability at left back. So, and generally, they've not really. Defenders are not good. Yeah, and they've got yeah. injuries already to Koch and to Lorente and stuff. I, th- I think they could be bottom six this year. I don't think they'll go down. Because again, mm. I think there's t- there's three teams come through worse than them. Yeah, well, I agree they, with that. So they can score, you know. Yeah, like you know, they've got you know, Bamford's a very good striker, and but they'll, they'll probably score enough goals. But yeah, I think they'll be okay. But it'd be nice to see them below us after last season. But I don't, I don't think they'll be they'll have the success that they've had in the last sort of season. So you've got us European qualifying types, then you've got the mid-tablers, and then you've got these <laughs> these kind of lower mid-table kind of Leeds Palace teams that won't go down. Then you've got the dirge, yeah. So I agree. I think Palace and Leeds, unfortunately, will both survive. Um, in terms of fixtures, of course, in the league, that is the next game. It's Monday next week. The big one, eight o'clock kickoff at Selhurst. Smellhurst, sorry, get the get the name right. Um, I'm going to the game. I think Andy, you said you're you've got a ticket as well. Have you going? Yeah, you going? Might have to let it, find out where you're going for drinks beforehand. Um, maybe link up. Anyway, um, Steve, speaking off air, you were saying you've, you you can't stand the fixture. It's too agonising. The thought of losing and all that sort of stuff. You haven't. You've deliberately neglected to get a ticket. My ticket. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I despise the game because I just don't want us to lose. Yeah. And therefore, I mean, the, the playoffs are ridiculous, be... weren't they? The, 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 you know, the, the stakes were too high on that occasion. Yeah. And, even the Premier League, it's just... And and also because I then get corralled by the Met Police to go back to Brighton, even though I live in Guildford. <laughs> so the actual overall enjoyment of the game is just taken away because I hate the game in case we lose. And then I hate the aftermatch of trying to get home. Yeah. Because they just assume that everyone lives in Brighton. And treat and the Met Police treat everyone with such disrespect because yeah. you're all guilty before proven innocent. So, absolutely, we're football fans, nonetheless. Behind my fingers on Monday. Yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's, it's it's not a fun day out, but it could be. <laughs> so when you go there and it and it goes well, then. Uh, See, the thing is, I've been so scarred with Kelvin Morton. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, you were there as well, were you? I was there, yes. Good grief. What a game that was. Madness. But, um, uh, Peter, are you going? Have you got a ticket? Yeah, at the moment, I'm assuming I'm going unless something changes or whatever, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, um, just as customary, uh, we've got to do it. The head to head currently stands at 40 wins. 
38 losses. So we're ahead of them and 27 draws, so 105 games. Um, how's this one going to go? I I don't know. I'm going to, I usually get this wrong. So I'm deliberately not picking a win for us to give us hope. I, I, but in fact, genuinely, I think it, I've got a feeling it might be disappointingly a draw. I've said um, I've been hopeful of draws in a couple of the recent predictions, but I'm going to say disappointingly a draw in this one. And I'll go with a one all again. Peter? You just know Zaha's going to score, don't you? It's just like, and you just know Edward's going to score after we're with him in the summer. So, yeah, I I can just see it. We're, we're doing relatively well. But on the other hand, my my bright side looks at it and goes like, surely we're due some luck against them. Like after what's happened the last four games, basically, where we've had about 100 shots and they've had about one. Still managed <laughs> to score about six goals or something like that. I mean, surely we're due some luck. Surely... You know, we're due them to miss a hatful of chances and us to nick it later on or something. Or So, yeah, I'm going to go for a draw in between my dreaded kind of like, oh, my God, I can just see these players scoring and my um, and my optimistic, surely our luck will turn against Palace. So, so it's got to be go two for, all then, based, based on what well, you said. I'm going to go for a one or one of Zaha and Edward scoring for them and okay. Dunk scoring for us. He's due a goal against them, surely. Yeah, true. And uh, Andy and Steve, have you guys got any predictions on this one? Uh, Andy, to you first. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna give it to us by a goal. I think it's gonna <laughs> be I think it's gonna be close. So it could be it could be one 0 or it could be two one. I don't think it'll be three two. Um, but but I think I think a, a low scoring one goal victory for us. Yeah. I'll take I just, that. I just right got on. after 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 that performance on Saturday, the last two weeks, I think there's there's been something about the manner in which we achieved those victories, which were more mature than than with than we were last year. Um, mm. I just think, yeah. I think, I think there is a a little change in our mentality that might take the sting of. The, the sort of charge nature of the game out of our players where we might play it more we might play it more as a regular game despite what you know the two sets of supporters will be how the two sets of supporters will be treating it um hmm. so yeah i i mean it's really it's, it'll be it'll be very uncomfortable to watch but i think we might nick it if we win well, we've got ten points clear of them which would be pretty good yeah, I mean, we're seven clear at the moment. Mind the gap, mind the gap, Crystal Palace, as the yeah, song goes. It'll be, it'll be close. I mean, you know, yeah. obviously they've got, you know, the, the narratives are there with Edouard, who allegedly we're in for. I actually don't think we're in for him at all. But, um, but you know, they, they've got that narrative. Yeah. So for him to score, you know, wouldn't be a, a great surprise. And obviously Zaha as well, um, with all the animosity there. But who knows? Who knows? Give it I'm, I'm going to be... Apparently, we've got tickets very, very close to the Palace section of the Arthur Wait this time. So that could be quite interesting. Steve, am I, am I going to be squirming or gloating from that standing position? <laughs> um, I'm assuming I can't plead the fifth on the M. Oh, you can if you want. Derby. You can if you want. Oh, if I thought that was an option. <laughs> <laughs> so, as Sky like to call it, the M23 Derby. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Just playing up to the listener we have. Um, my heart says 2 0 Brighton. Oh, nice. Yeah. My head says 1 0. 
In my heart, yeah. it's five nil Brighton. But my... I know. <laughs> but that's we're we're trying to then correct the errors of Stevie Coppel. Yeah, exactly. So absolutely, it's like turn it around from that. My head says you're completely crazy, heart. But my heart says five nil. <laughs> With a Lewis Duncan trick right in front of their fans, from the so, whole. <laughs> so I will I will say two nil Brighton because I think we are due some luck against Palace. Yeah. I, I would love for this game, you've just mentioned it, Peter, Dunk, if he could score against them, because they absolutely hate him, don't they? It's brilliant. Yeah, they hate him um, a lot more than we hate Zaha as well. It's like... Yeah. And I remember when we, I think it was when Knockout scored that goal, I think, and he ran the entire length of the Arthur Wake, just baiting him as he ran past. <laughs> I loved it on his way down to the away end. Perfectly justifiable. He was just heading for the away end. Nothing wrong with that. Um, I'd love him to score, particularly at the home end, uh, but in general, in this game on Monday, that would be beautiful. Yeah. In a victory, in a victory, yeah. Maybe a last-minute winner from Dunkey. That would be pretty cool. Oh, <laughs> I don't think my nerves could take I it. I don't want to wait. No. Until, can, can, yeah, I don't want to wait till. Let's last... just go four up then. In that case, If that happens, if that happens, I'm taking a week off on holiday. I think <laughs> uh, after that necessarily so yeah well guys it's been a week a to get home to be honest <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure thank you very much for joining us just very quickly um by all means if you want to contact us uh twitter at brighton rock pod you can email brighton rock podcast at gmail.com and if you can rate us particularly if you can rate us five stars please do we want to get as many ratings as possible it helps with algorithms and other stuff that i don't understand uh, apparently um so um, and, and if you can pass on and word of mouth it to anyone else to get them listening as well that would be great hope you've all enjoyed the show we'll be back with a post-match pre uh, post-match review after the palace game that's our next show or we might do a match day special in fact but either way around it's going to be it's going to be the action stations next time or next time out so until then i'm uh, well i'm going to get somebody else to sign out today so peter you've done it i've done it Should, andy and steve do you fancy signing us out in the fashion that is benoted to us all um you know you know the score don't you on this one go on then Andy. stand or fall stand or fall and then uh, up the albion, uh, up the albion. I always forget that bit <laughs>